So church, last week in Jesus' second to last teaching here in this Sermon on the Mount, we heard what I said was perhaps the biggest warning to any professing believer in the whole Bible. The biggest warning. Because there we saw Jesus warn us about how many people will call themselves Christian in this life and they'll even do many things in Jesus' name and they'll even say to Jesus, Lord, Lord, on judgment day and yet for many people it will be revealed on that day that they never actually knew Jesus. Or even more specifically, that Jesus never knew them. Even though they said the right things about Jesus and they claimed to know him, Jesus says they never actually did. And I bring that up from last week because therefore in the passage right before ours this morning, it's obvious that Jesus wanted to be crystal clear that just because you say that he's your Lord and say that you trust in him, that isn't all there is, obviously, to Christianity or even to following him. Instead, truly trusting him and knowing him is something more deep felt and real and it'll always produce fruit in how you live your life. And so that was last week, and that connects a lot to our passage this week, because if last week was a warning about just how saying that Jesus is your Lord isn't enough, so now this week it's clear Jesus is making a similar point, but this time it's about how hearing him, listening to him, and even agreeing with a lot of what he says isn't enough either. And think about it, I think Jesus intentionally wanted to end his whole Sermon on the Mount with this. Because for them back then, and and also for us today, remember, they just and we just as a whole church together heard Jesus give a lot of beautiful and compelling and fascinating teachings in his whole Sermon on the Mount. We've heard amazing truths. And remember, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount hasn't mainly been just some moral commands about being good and nice people. Instead, Jesus' teachings, they are so unique and authoritative as he weaves together the Old Testament and who he is and what life in the kingdom of God is like. And so that's what we all just heard. And that said, because of that, the truth is, even for them back then, as we're going to see next week, most of the people back then did hear Jesus and a lot of what he said, and they were amazed at his type of teaching. And in fact, just skim your eyes to verse 28, actually, that comes right after our paragraph this morning. We'll see this next week. But look, verse 28, quote, And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished. (laughs) At his teaching. And so many people, the crowds, heard Jesus. And they thought he and his teachings were astonishing, fascinating, unique, and even compelling. Right? And still today, many people still hear Jesus' teachings. Or they, or they just notice the example of Jesus' life. Or, or more broadly, they hear about biblical things or truths like how God is love. Or anything like that. Many, many people still hear those things. And they can still think they're really interesting. They can even appreciate it. And they can sometimes love, right, what they're hearing. And to be honest, to bring this possibly to you and me in this room, this especially can happen to those who do outward Christian things like participate in church or go to a church service. Because let's be honest, especially in a setting like this, it can become something where we come and hear and hear and hear and nod our heads and approve. Again, just like many people did back then. 
And, and quickly, just, just to be clear, hearing obviously is a good thing in itself. We should hear and love what Jesus has to say, what all of God's word has to say. And so it's good to hear from God. And yet all of that said, the point is just like saying that Jesus is your Lord obviously isn't enough. So church, in a similar way, Jesus' point is just being someone who hears isn't enough either. <laughs> right, it isn't. Because the reality is you and I can say the right things about Jesus and we can gladly hear about Jesus and we can nod our heads and agree with all of that, all of it, and yet we can do all of that without actually having personal trust in Jesus. We can say and hear what he teaches and yet never actually in our hearts genuinely embrace him and in a way that will always affect how we live our lives. And so church, that's why Jesus is teaching this here and that's how he wants to conclude his Sermon on the Mount. He said a lot, we've heard a lot, but now will we actually embrace him as our savior and king in our lives? Right, the question is not, will we genuinely nod our heads and find him interesting or even agree with him? Instead, it's will you and I personally, in this room, each decide to follow him and build our lives upon the rock or Will we maybe even gladly hear from him or hear from the Bible or even hear messages like this and yet in actuality be building our lives on the sand? That, that's the question. And it's what Jesus wants each of us to really consider this, this morning because as we'll see in the end, his point is who we really are in time is always going to be revealed. And so if you will, that's this passage in a nutshell. But that then, before we dig into everything here, brings us to uh, briefly consider our outline for how we'll go through everything here, our outline. And so as, we're, so as for how we're going to exactly go through what Jesus says, we are going to have three sections together this morning, three sections. And as for what they are, first, we're actually going to begin by just looking broadly at all of verses 24 through 27 here. And we're going to notice all the similarities that Jesus brings up concerning the wise man and the foolish man, the similarities and we'll do this because as you might have noticed hearing that scripture reading, what's really interesting about this teaching from Jesus is that he intentionally repeats himself a lot in this paragraph. And so I think he wants us to first see what's the same about these two options of the rock and the sand. And so we'll start there, which then in our second section will lead us to relook more specifically at verses 24 and 25 and the first example of the wise man building his house on the rock. And there we'll talk about exactly what that means, which then third and finally will obviously lead us to conclude with verses 26 and 27, and we'll talk about the foolish man who builds his house on the sand. And so that's, that's where we're going. In summary, first, the similarities between these two options. Second, the wise man in the rock. Third, the foolish man on the sand. And as we do so, let's just all remember one last time, this is how Jesus wanted to conclude his long Sermon on the Mount. And so he thinks it's important and a fitting conclusion. And I do hope that you and I will agree with him as we see what he's saying. But all that said, let's then dive in and begin our first section together here at church. And again, here broadly, we're going to look at all of verses 24 through 27 and notice the similarities Jesus mentions. Or to say it another way, just to be clear, what we're looking into is what does Jesus want us to know concerning what these two drastically different options have in common? 
And because by the way he teaches us, I think he wants us to see some similarities. So for this, we're just now going to read all of verses 24 through 27. And as you hear this again, just notice all the similar words and phrases that Jesus says. So look down in your Bibles to begin verses 24 through the rest, through all of verse 27. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. And so hearing that, you can probably now sense what I mean by a lot of things in this paragraph are Jesus Jesus repeating himself, a repetition. But now let's break down exactly what he repeats and what he means. And so first, as for the first repetition, we actually see it in that word everyone, right? Everyone. Because notice that's Jesus' first word in verse 24, and then he says it again in verse 26. And actually, if you remember, this is the same word he used last week in verse 21 with not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And this may seem like small point, but it's actually pretty important because in basic, just like last week, so once again here, this shows us that Jesus is talking about individuals. Individuals, everyone. Meaning he's clear, it's individuals who hear him and then have the option of building their lives upon the rock or the sand. And so that's the first and most basic similarity, but then that leads to the second and a more important one. And this now, continuing on, as you can see, is that Jesus, after his everyone, he describes these individuals as everyone who hears these words of mine. Right? That shows up in verse 24 and then again in verse 26. Meaning, this is individual people who have heard Jesus' words. But not only that, and this is pretty important, but actually here, Jesus isn't merely bringing up the fact that people just have heard his words. But in the original language, the words of me or mine, as we say in English, which occurs in verse 24 and verse 26, that's really emphatic by Jesus, really emphatic. Which is why this really could be read, everyone who hears these words of mine. Or better yet, as one commentator I read this week pointed out, the original grammar here in the Greek is actually really strange. And without getting too much into it, that means, long story short, that Jesus here also could be translated as saying, quote, everyone who hears me, comma, my words. Everyone who hears me, my words. And I know that might sound confusing, but it does matter. Because however one exactly decides to translate this, the point is, what Jesus is saying here is that there's individual people who have heard him, or more specifically, his point is that in hearing him, they've not only heard him, but they've actually encountered Jesus himself, in a sense, through his word. That, that seems to be what Jesus is saying. There are people, these are people, who have come to encounter Jesus through what Jesus has said. And really, if that seems strange to us, Jesus is talking that way because this is actually really in line with how God himself has always talked about how we know him in the Bible, if you think about it. Meaning in the Old Testament and the New Testament, this is always how God talks about how we encounter him. We usually encounter God through his word. Right? And when you and I think about it, that should make sense because consider, how do you and I know who God is or what God is like? Well, according to the Bible, I hope we all know in here, we don't just go by what we feel, 
nor do we just sit around and discuss what we would all think is the best option about who God is. Rather, instead, God reveals himself to us in his word, and therefore, we always encounter God through hearing his words. And so it is here with Jesus. I think that's what he's getting at. We hear and know who Jesus himself is through what he said. And really then, the point here in this passage about these two options is that concerning both the sand and the rock option, they both to some degree have had that happen to them. You see that? They've both heard from Jesus, but not only that, but they've both in some sense encountered Jesus, come up against Jesus, who is the true Savior and King of the world. And now, out of the two of them, it's true. One of them embraces Jesus genuinely, while the other doesn't. But we do need to say, see, Jesus is emphasizing, they do both have that hearing about him in common. All right, and so that's the second and perhaps the biggest uh, similarity between these two options, which finally leads us to the last one, and this is large as well. And this, this is the biggest one word-wise, right? And it's probably, as you notice, what both of these hearers go through. Right, what they both go through. And this is actually found mainly at the beginning of verse 25 and verse 27. Because you, as you heard in both of those places, the same wording is used by Jesus. And, and what is it that these two options go through? Well, first, they both build a house. And then basically for both of them, a storm comes. Right, a storm comes. Or, or as Jesus says, quote, and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. And now what, is, what does that mean? Well, notice, Jesus actually doesn't define it for us, but, I, but I, I do think all of us in this room and most people who interpret this, when we hear that description of a storm, I think we can assume it's one of or all of three things. One of or all of three things. First, this storm could just be talking about the difficulties in life in general, the difficulties of life in general. Meaning life in this broken world, as, as sinners, we know life is tough, and so it's like going through a storm. And so it could be that Jesus is saying that as we go throughout life, what foundation we build upon will always reveal itself. But then, and or second, right, this storm that Jesus has in mind might not just be life in general, but specifically it could be certain difficult trials that we each have as we go throughout life. Right? right? Meaning it's not just general life, but it's something really specific that's a trial that we go through. And we know Jesus has talked about those a lot in the Sermon on the Mount. So it could be one of those two things. Or third, and most specifically, and almost everyone who studies this agrees that this almost certainly is in view, this storm here also, though, could finally be referring to the last judgment where we stand before God. The last judgment where we stand before God. And we say that first because, remember, actually last week, this was certainly in view in Jesus' teaching. But then also, this almost certainly is in view because, think about it, the last judgment where we are standing before the perfect, all-seeing God, will really be when it's ultimately revealed what foundation you and I and everyone in the world built their lives upon. And now on that, to be clear, this idea of the final judgment before God being a storm, I just hope you know it is not because God himself is the bad one or he's mean or anything like that. Instead, it is because, church, God is perfect and holy. Jesus is perfect and holy. And so when all of the sin inside your and my hearts and all of our thoughts and words and actions are made plain, it will be, in one sense, like going through a storm. Okay, so that's the storm. 
And again, whatever exactly it is, the overall point though, again, is that the wise man and the foolish man, we need to get this, they both have this storm in common. They each go through the difficulties of life in general. They each experience trials. They each will stand before God at the final judgment. The difference is for one of them, the storm does not make them topple and fall. Well, for the other it does. And so I know it's a lot, but that's our first section in the similarities. And quickly, I do think that matters for you and I in here, but it applies to each of us because that means, after seeing what that meant, that means that for everyone in here, I hope you know this is us. Right? We're in this paragraph because you are an individual who has heard of Jesus and who has, a way, in a way, therefore, encountered Jesus through his words. And I do hope you know that that is, above all, what is happening during this time here on Sunday mornings. It's not that we're just going to God's word to understand the Bible together. And you're not mainly actually hearing from me, nor are we just understanding a book better. But we're all encountering Jesus through his word. Right? And so, so we're each individuals. We've all heard from and in a sense encountered Jesus. And then finally we all go through this life which is difficult. We have trials. And you and I will one day stand before the living, loving, holy God. And so we all have that in common, which then leads us to consider, okay, then what then should we do with all that in our lives? And Jesus' response is, well, there's really only two options, two foundations you can now build your life on, your house. Number one, you can do what Jesus says and build on him, the rock. Or number two, you can hear only and build on the sand. That's it. Those are the only two options for each and every one of us. And so now finally, for the rest of our time this morning, we'll consider those together. So that's our first section of similarities, which now does lead us to our second. We're going to zoom in on the first and better option of the wise man and the rock. And for this, we're going to be in just verses 24 and 25. And we're actually going to take these verses again one at a time. And so to start, just look at verse 24 again. Verse 24. So we already talked about the similarities here. But now notice what sticks out to you is different in verse 24. So verse 24 again, Jesus opens with this. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So in this verse, there's two huge differences, right, about the wise man compared to the foolish man. Two huge differences. First is the biggest and most important part of this whole teaching by Jesus. And that's how this person, yes, hears Jesus and encounters Jesus through his word like the foolish man. But then he also does what Jesus says. He does what Jesus says. And again, that's really the point of Jesus' whole teaching here. Because we hear and we understand and we can even agree with Jesus. That's one thing, but that isn't enough. Instead, we must do what he says. But on that, this idea of doing, we need to take a second and clarify what Jesus means here by this word do, by this word do. Because I do think, probably for many of us, we might hear that verb do and we may immediately think of more outward bodily actions, right? Or, or worse yet, we may hear this idea of doing for God or for Jesus and we immediately might now start to think that Jesus could be talking about doing outward obedience good enough to make sure we're okay with him. But let me tell you, that's actually not what Jesus is saying. Rather, this is a good example of where translation is tough. Not because the people who translated this did a bad job, but because every English word that we use, right, has its own modern connotations. Because most basically, the Greek word here does mean do, of course, but it also can mean practice, or even better yet, it can mean make. And along with that, this verb doesn't actually mean some outward action. Just actually like the word do in English doesn't mean some outward action. 
Rather think of it this way. Think of it this way. So, so who is the one who actually does what Jesus says? Well, in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount so far, he hasn't just told us to do outward things. Right? Yes, he has told us some of those things and, and they are great, but that is not all that Jesus has taught. Rather, Jesus has also taught us about a lot of inward realities as well, right? Like hungering for God and his righteousness or, or believing in Jesus and that he has come to fulfill the Old Testament or, or loving our enemies or trusting God in our anxieties and more. And the point is, a lot of those we might not easily associate with the do, but Jesus here does. Which is why I think that perhaps a more helpful way to think of this idea of doing what Jesus says is, is to think about putting what Jesus teaches into practice. Or, as I thought about it this week, perhaps even better is to mainly think of this as making what Jesus says a reality in your life. Right? Making what he said a reality in your life. And I say that first because, again, this, this verb can be translated as make, but what would it mean to make Jesus' words or even practice or do them? Well, in basic church, it would mean taking what Jesus says and obviously not just hear him, but make who he is and what he said a reality in your life. Right? And doing that and making Jesus' words a reality like that would include, yes, of course, seeking to obey him as your king, but it also would even more fundamentally mean embracing him as your personal savior. Right? And therefore, all that said, in short, that's what this first person does. The first example here. And for you and me, that, that's what you and I must do according to Jesus to be in this first category. We can't just hear him and hear him and hear him. Instead, we must make what he says a reality in our lives. And him himself. Which again, does not mean that we have to now obey him perfectly to earn our salvation. Jesus would never say that. Instead, it is in talking about embracing him and all he said as your savior and king. Right? That is doing what Jesus says. And so, and so that's the first and main trait about this person here in verse 24. But that is not the only important thing that Jesus says about this first option here. Because also in this same verse, notice, it is fascinating that Jesus, and, and deciding to talk about this person who does, who, who really makes what Jesus says a reality in their life, he decides to not call this person a true believer, although I think that would be really fitting, nor does he use the term a true disciple or a true follower, although that would fit a lot as well. Instead, and we take this for granted because we've heard and sung about this many times, but isn't it fascinating that Jesus here decides to call this person wise? wise. I mean, just, just think about that. That's a very intentional word. And I think Jesus wants to end his Sermon on the Mount with all of us considering this because what I think this word does is it, is it pushes us back into the idea of what's true, of what's honestly smart and rational and understandable. Because think about it. If Jesus calls this person a true follower, a true disciple, then that would be emphasizing how this person is really following Jesus. And that's true. But by calling this person wise, now all of a sudden, Jesus comes in and he's mainly emphasizing how this person is truly being smart and living in accordance with what's true. Right? You see that? And I do think that's part of his point. The wise man is wise because he's taking what's objectively true and making it real in his life. I mean, it's really that simple. Because consider, if Jesus of Nazareth, who came 2,000 years ago, actually is the only Savior and the only King, if he truly is the Lord God himself, 
then sure, you individually can decide to live without thinking much about him. Or you can try to save yourself or be engaged in other religions. Or you can just try to be a decent person without really thinking about Jesus. Or you can try to only hear this Jesus. But all of those would not be living in accordance with reality. They're all not ultimately very smart. They're they're like deciding to build a house on the sand when you know a storm might be coming. And so instead of that, what's honestly smart, wise, rational, and, and living in accordance with what's true, it is making this Jesus, this Jesus who exists, who is the King and the Savior, it's making him a reality in your life and trusting him and following his words. All right, and so that's this wise person in just verse 24, which finally on our second section actually leads us more briefly to verse 25. And here we're going to see one more major difference between him and the next option. And so continuing on, look down at verse 25 again. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. So we'll cover this verse a little more quickly because it's pretty simple. So once again, this storm comes, storm of life or trials or especially the final judgment and the climactic part out of all of this for this wise person isn't even such a storm. They do not ultimately fall. They don't topple and fall. And that is really encouraging because that means simply said, the wise person will be able to withstand whatever storm is coming his or her way in life and trials and including the final judgment I mean, you see that? This person will not fall. And now, let's be clear. That that does not mean that the rain coming throughout this person's life or the wind beating against their house during some trial, that that won't feel like a storm. Of course it will. Storms, by definition, are rough. But still, the person will not fall. And, And finally on this, and really importantly, why though? Won't this person in this house fall? Well, Jesus adds clearly, quote, because it had been founded upon the rock. And really that last reasoning clause there from Jesus in verse 25 is huge. Because think about it, you and I could be tempted to think, well, since this is the wise person, it probably is because of their wisdom that makes them not fall. But please hear me out. If you're anything this morning, maybe, maybe let it be this. Jesus is certainly teaching that what's wise and what's smart and what's best for you and I is to build our lives upon him and to make him and his words a reality. That's true. And Jesus is clearly teaching that if you do so, you will not ultimately fall. But also, why won't you and I fall if we do so? Well, here's the gospel. It is actually not based on your or my wisdom. It's not. Yes, the wisdom is one, it is wise to trust in Jesus. But our wisdom here in this picture is not the grounding that gives us security. Jesus is so intentional. Instead, the only reason we do not fall is because we are founded upon the rock. I mean, now and forever, we're founded upon the rock of Jesus and of him personally being savior and king of the universe for us. And so that's our second section. And in basic then, the application from that is church. We must make sure we each personally are a wise person who chooses to do or put into practice or make a reality in our lives, Jesus himself and all that he said. And so please, I just ask you, 
I, we've been saying this for three weeks now because Jesus has been saying this. Please, just everyone in here personally, make sure this is you. Don't just hear and, and gladly agree with a lot of what Jesus says and make it a thing that you just go to church. Instead, personally trust and follow him. So that's our second section, which now finally leads to our third and last section. And here, of course, we're going to look more in detail at the foolish person who builds their house on the sand. And this will be much briefer because basically the foolish person does the opposite of the wise person, but we'll still break down what Jesus has to say here. And so for this, verses 26 and 27, but again, we're going to take them one at a time. And so now, just look down at verse 26 again, verse 26. So after talking about the wise man, Jesus decides to soberly say this, verse 26. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. So the most obvious thing concerning this foolish person, right, is that they do not do what Jesus says. Which means, as we've been talking about, he does not take, this person does not take Jesus and his words and actually make him a reality in their life. Instead, this person only hears. And Jesus decides to call this foolish. Foolish. And obviously, foolish is the opposite of wise, but just, just consider how this is different from wise. Because if wise, we talked about, Jesus brought in to talk about what's smart and rational in accordance with reality. So I do think we're supposed to hear foolish and honestly think this is, this is not very smart in the big scheme of things. It's not according to reality. It's even irrational. And really, this way of talking being wise versus being foolish is something that God, you might know, uses all over the Bible. Because, because let's be clear, when we are talking about big Bible and gospel truths, right, like, like sin and us genuinely being separated from God on our own and, and us being brought back to God through trusting in Jesus and the gospel alone and, and things like that, we are not talking about mainly subjective personal opinions or feelings. I hope you know, rather, fundamentally, we are talking about the ultimate storyline of our universe. We, we are talking about the ultimate issue for every person on our planet, the ultimate need, the ultimate solution, the ultimate peace, and more. And so all that said, Jesus comes, and, and he is the answer to our deepest need and problems. He is the solution, the greatest gift we could ever ask for, and following him is the best way that you and I and everyone on this planet was designed to live. And yet, what happens with many people is yet with all of that true, they, they hear about these truths about Jesus and yet they still say, now just, I'll just do it my way. Or, or now I'll just, I'll, I hear that, but I'll just want to try to live a, as a decent person and be as good or successful as I can be. Or common today, no, I, you know, I hear all that, but I'm just going to live for what only I and other fellow humans can observe with our five senses. And all the while, Jesus' point is, that's not only hurtful, but it's unwise. <laughs> It's not only self-centered, but it's unrealistic and irrational in the end. All because it is a creature who intrinsically does know that there is a creator, and yet they're deciding to ignore the way that the creator has chosen to reveal himself. And so that's Jesus' description of foolish. And when you think about it continuing on, that's, that's, that's then also why Jesus uses this rock versus sand analogy, right? The rock versus the sand. And we actually haven't talked about this much yet, but with so much of this passage now covered, I think we can all probably see why that's such a fitting picture. 
Just think about it. We're all living our lives and they're difficult and full of trials and the final judgment is coming. And so knowing that, we should see, man, we can't do this on our own. And there's only one solid, stable rock where we can build our house and that is knowing and trusting Jesus. And yet, there is one other option besides Jesus. One other option. And quickly on that, I know it is true that for the majority of our world today, and even back then, they would hear Jesus say this or hear maybe us believe this and come in and say, no way, there's tons of options. Right? Maybe you could be a Muslim, you could be a Hindu, you could be agnostic, an atheist, you could just try to be a decent person and not really have many convictions on things like this. You can just go to church and not really care much about Jesus says, but just enjoy hearing it or whatever. And someone can come in and say, see, those are not all the same. But the point is, and what's true in reality is, yes, those all are different to some degree. But in the end, they are sand. In the end, they don't work and provide stability. And why? Well, again, it's interesting. Jesus' main point seems to be because all of those other options, they're not in accordance with what's true and what's reality. And so not being true, they will ultimately prove unstable. And so that's verse 26, which finally leads us to verse 27. So look there one last time. Jesus ends like this. And the, rains, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. So again, most of that is just the opposite of the wise man upon the rock, because here the, the storm comes, but this house now does fall, which again could be talking about falling in life in general during trials, and especially talking about the last judgment. But notice, Jesus, to end his whole Sermon on the Mount, he doesn't just say that the house falls. Because remember, in verse 25, during this whole discussion of the wise person, Jesus added that last phrase because it was founded on the rock. Meaning Jesus wants us as Christians to emphatically know that the reason we as Christians won't fall is because of him. Right? So he added something emphatic about the wise man. And as you can see, he does something similar here in verse 27 as well. He adds something for emphasis. And what is it? We'll quote, and great was the fall of it. End quote, end Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> and that's a sobering line. Because I think Jesus' point is, we as human beings, we are made in the image of God. And we were made not just to know about God and know about Jesus, but to actually have fellowship with him, to love him, to follow him. That's wisdom, right? That's, that's rational. That's what's most in line with reality and what's true. And in the end, relying on Jesus and following him does provide what we were designed for. It gives us the stability that you and I need and we're made for. But on the other hand, what happens when we as human beings decide to deny all that? Well, we are like building our houses on the sand. And in the end, again, that's not only foolish, but honestly, it will lead to a great fall. I think Jesus' point is we go from these great creatures made in God's image, made to know him and love him and love others and spread God's good creative glory into God's world. But then in the end, we go from that to becoming like a house by the ocean that has been toppled by a hurricane. And really, that's tragic. That's tragic. I think that's the word we're supposed to think about here. It's a tragedy. Because again, 
We are made in God's image, ultimately designed to be full, complete human beings. Sin has messed that up, but we were designed to be sinless, happy, glorious, living forever, not dying and decaying. And in Jesus alone, we do get that. I hope you know that. But if we decide to turn from God, from Jesus in this gospel, then we don't get any of that. Instead, for now, we only get this broken, stained life. And then later in the end, we as once beautiful human beings will crash down to the ground. And as Jesus says, and great was the fall of it. And again, that's how Jesus decides to end this whole Sermon on the Mount. He, his point is, we have now heard him. They've heard him. We've encountered him in a way through his words. But now in our lives, we do each have a choice. We each have to ask ourselves, have I really made Jesus a reality in my life? Do I trust him personally? And does that show in how I live? Or honestly, am I being foolish right now? Right, that's, that's the question. And so that's our passage, church. That's the similarities here. That's the wise person building upon the rock and that is the foolish person who doesn't. Which briefly leads us to one last thing to know here before we're done. One last thing. And I, and I intentionally saved this for last because I really do think it is powerful. And so we basically now covered, if you look at the passage, almost everything in here. But there's one last thing we actually haven't touched on yet and it's actually a similarity concerning both the wise and the foolish person. It occurs in 24 and verse 26. And it's this. Notice here that Jesus decides to teach all this in the future tense. Stick with me. The future tense, he says, will be. Showing that this is going to happen. Or to say it another way, these situations here from Jesus are technically promises. You see that? They're promises. Verse 24. Everyone who then hears these words of mine and does them will be. Verse 26, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be. And think of it, Jesus didn't need to use the future tense like that, but I think he did on purpose. Because if he just said, the wise man is like, and the foolish person is like, then it more so just seemed like an analogy. But he says, will be. And why? Well, because he is telling us what will take place. And this matters both for the example of the foolish and the wise person. Because as for the foolish, this means that what Jesus says is here and it is going to take place. All other options are and will re be revealed to have always have been sand. There will be a great fall for anyone who does not embrace Jesus and his words. There will be. That is literally a loving warning and promise from the creator and sustainer of the universe here. And so honestly, I do want to say that that should be extra challenging and even extra convicting to anyone back then and to anyone in here this morning who's maybe still tempted to hear what Jesus has to say and kind of just shrug it off. Because you have now heard this morning, not just a teaching from Jesus, but technically this is a promise from the creator of the universe. There will be a great fall for anyone who does not build their lives on Jesus and genuinely know and trust him. So that's the challenge. But then, on the flip side of that, this will be here is also a massive encouragement to those of us who do trust Jesus and are trying to genuinely follow him. A massive encouragement. And why? Well, because as one person I read this week put it, quote, the future tense is significant. The one who puts Jesus' words into practice will become like the man who on judgment day, when this great storm comes, he will stand fast because of his good foundation." End quote. In other words, I, I hope you know, if you bank your life, your salvation, your ultimate peace and hope and stability and future on Jesus, 
you will not be let down. In fact, that is a promise here from Jesus. He is not saying, if you decide to build on the rock, then I hope you build your house good enough. Notice that's not what he says. Instead, it's if you decide to build your, heart, your house on a rock, take heart, you will be secure. And again, church, really, that's the gospel of Jesus. We are secure and loved now in Christ and we will be secure and loved in Christ forevermore. And one last time, though, we have to ask, really, why is that the case? Well, again, it is not because of us. Instead, please, if, if you're a Christian here, always please just to remember the very middle of this whole passage, the very middle of our lives and the very middle of our whole faith. And what is it? Well, it's those words, because it had been founded on the rock. That's it. That's our security. That's our peace and salvation. Or as we sang earlier, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Jesus alone, brothers and sisters, He's where our hope is, where our stay is, and that's true both in our lives now, it's true in any storms we might go through, and it's true literally forever. Amen? Amen, let's pray.